well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you are with us on the program today. Uh, Coming up, we're going to be talking about the rise in violent crime around the United States in 2020, an increase that has continued uh, into 2021. And of course, uh, gun control activists are blaming this rise in violent crime on the record number of gun sales in 2020. I think confusing uh, cause and effect. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, also coming up in a, a few minutes, we'll get to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, as well as our recidivist report, which I think also has uh, something to do with the rise in violent crime in 2020, the uh, number of repeat offenders uh, on city streets who believe that they can get away with whatever violent crimes they commit. Uh, quite frankly, a lot of times they're right. They can. But let's take a look at the uh, headlines here. This is just one of many that you can find. A Portland plagued by gun violence in the first two months of 2021. Shooting calls in Portland, Oregon, up nearly uh, to 170 in the first two months of the year, the same time last year, there had been 88 shooting calls in Portland, Oregon. Now, in Multnomah County, which is where Portland is located, we've also seen a uh, rise in the number of concealed carry applications. Month-long delays in Multnomah County, by the way, to process those uh, concealed carry applications. So are legal gun owners to blame here? No. One uh, of the drivers in Portland, and, that, and this is something we actually got to talk about here. What's driving the violence in Portland is probably not what's driving the violence in Chicago, which is probably not what's driving the violence in Philadelphia, which is not what's driving the violence in New York. Crime is local. And we know that the vast, well, I shouldn't say the vast majority, we know that a uh, preponderance of violent crime is committed by a very small number of individuals in any given community. I was just looking at uh, some of the latest research from Dr. David Kennedy uh, at uh, John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and I, I'm blank. I think it was Dayton, Ohio. It was one city in Ohio where he estimates as many as as much as 50 percent of the homicides are committed by less than one percent of the population in the city. Excuse me, did I say homicides? I meant violent crime. One percent of the city's population. So that's already a, a, a strike against gun control activists. What we really need to do is we need to limit the ability of anybody and everybody to legally acquire a firearm. We actually don't, because the vast majority of Americans, first of all, not only possess a, a constitutionally protected right to keep and bear arms, but the vast majority of legal gun owners will never commit a violent crime. The more effective and uh, particularly more constitutionally appropriate way to address these issues is by actually targeting those who are most likely to offend, who, by the way, are also generally the most likely to be the victims of violent crime. And in Portland, Oregon, they took away a really important tool from the Portland Police Department last year. The uh, I think it was called the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force. This was a, a task force, part of the uh, Portland Police Department, that was specifically designed to go out and look for those most likely offenders. And in the push to de-police in Portland last year, they scrapped that unit. And since they got rid of that unit, 
violent crime has been soaring. According to uh, KGW in uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, one resident named Ike says he remembers the out-of-control gun violence in the 1990s, and now he believes he's witnessing a resurgence. Uh, gun violence took the life of 25-year-old Curtis Smith earlier this week, shot in a park uh, on uh, last Thursday. Ike wonders if the effects of unemployment, racial strife, and a pandemic are part of the problem. Uh, whatever the cause, he thinks we all must confront it. He says we need to take it from here, talking about it to action. And everybody's being affected by this, so everybody needs to be in on the discourse of how we can solve this problem or at least move forward to the solutions. I, I, I agree with Ike that we do need to be talking about this, but we also need to be talking about this from a perspective, again, of the real world. Not some utopian idea that, well, you know, if we just pass enough gun control laws, we'll, we'll get rid of all the guns and then the problem disappears. Because that's not happening. I don't care what your views are about the right to keep and bear arms. You live in a nation with more than 100 million legal gun owners and more than 400 million privately owned firearms. And the vast majority of those gun owners aren't interested in giving them up. And the vast majority of the 400 million privately owned firearms aren't going to disappear. Even if you were to repeal the Second Amendment today, they're not going anywhere. The idea that we can ban our way to safety, the idea that we can pass these uh, supply-side gun controls, again, trying to limit the supply of legally owned firearms, with the hope and expectation that there will be some sort of trickle-down effect on violent criminals, is absolutely and utterly absurd. It's not going to get us anywhere. Philadelphia, PA, over the weekend, they held a uh, gun buyback program. I prefer to call them compensated confiscation programs because that's what they actually are. Uh, but this time around, Philly PD, Philly City Council, there was a uh, nonprofit group that was working with this too, offered up $100 grocery gift cards in exchange for guns. Of course, no questions asked, right? Just drop them off and uh, get your gift card and then you're good to go. 150 firearms were turned in. Vast majority of them, from what I have seen, I've seen a few pictures, look to be garbage guns. Guns that might not even fire. We're talking really old revolvers, rusty derringers. Uh, there was one modern sporting rifle that was turned in. Of course, that's the one that the media focused on, right? <gasps> Look, somebody turned in an AR-15. And somebody did. I have no idea why. For 100 bucks, they could have sold it to a gun store and gotten a lot more. But, uh, but yes, they handed it in. And you know what happened in Philadelphia this weekend? Criminals still shot a lot of people. They still robbed a lot of people. They took human life this weekend. And we should not expect otherwise because there is no evidence that these quote-unquote buybacks work. They don't work to reduce violent crime. They don't work to reduce suicide. They don't work to reduce accidents involving firearms. They don't even work to reduce gun ownership. What they do, and all they do, is provide an opportunity for officials like Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kinney to say, look, I've done something, as opposed to doing something that works. And these same city officials in Philadelphia, by the way, that were promoting this gun buyback this past weekend, also are calling on the legislature in Harrisburg, PA, to pass more gun control laws because of the increase in violent crime in Philadelphia, which is significant. Philadelphia had 499 homicides last year. It was almost an all-time high. I think it was one homicide away from tying the all-time record. And things are not looking good in Philadelphia this year. But again, is that because of legal gun owners? No. I mean, not only 
did uh, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf try to shut down all gun stores at the beginning of the pandemic shutdowns a year ago? But the Philadelphia Police Department actually did shut down the gun permit unit, denying people the ability to even apply for a concealed carry license. Last time I checked a few weeks ago, there was a year long wait to simply apply for your concealed carry license in Philadelphia. So the law abiding gun owners are having barriers put in front of them, right? Oh, you want to exercise your right here? Go around this uh, maze of red tape and maybe a year from now when you navigate it, we'll give you permission to do so. Criminals in Philadelphia don't give a damn. They don't care that the gun permit unit was shut down. They're not legally carrying firearms to begin with. But you know what else was shut down in Philadelphia? The police department and the court system, by and large. A year ago, Daniel Outlaw, the commissioner in Philadelphia, do you remember this? Told police, quit making these arrests for drug crimes and prostitution and other low-level offenses. We need to ensure that the jails are not full. So we're going to let people out early in the hopes that they'll come back. We're going to issue people summons uh, to go to court when court reopens instead of actually arresting them and charging them. And again, the court system shut down repeatedly in Philadelphia over the past 12 months. Courts have been closed in New York, in New York City, in Los Angeles. In most cities, you've had a disruption of the criminal justice system that I believe has fueled that rise in violent crime because it's a vicious cycle. You've got people who aren't being as arrested as often for violent crimes. When they are arrested, we've got a lot of cities that are letting them out on no bond or low bond. And then their court cases are actually delayed, continued. Uh, in some cases for months, in some cases it may be years before these folks actually go to trial. Uh, on the violent crimes that they're accused of committing. So the criminal justice system has largely ground to a halt. Crime is largely consequence-free in a lot of cities. And if crime is consequence-free, guess what happens? You get more of it. And again, this vicious cycle continues because now you've got eyewitnesses who are less likely to talk to police because why would they stick their neck out if nothing's going to happen? Why would you go and risk testifying in open court when odds are the individual who is facing charges is going to get a slap on the wrist, put back out on the streets in a relatively short period of time? And oh, by the way, their criminal associates are still out there. And they're still willing to target you. And they've got the means and they've got the motive to do so. Why would you stick your neck out on the off chance that you might be able to put a violent criminal behind bars with the much greater chance? that that criminal's associates might then pursue you afterwards. And this leads to lower clearance rates for homicides in Chicago right now. Actually, this is as of a couple of months ago. The non-fatal shooting clearance rate, in other words, the, the percentage of crimes that have been solved by police, that have, that have resulted in an arrest for non-fatal shootings in Chicago, 5%. Let me say that again. 5% of the non-fatal shootings in the city of Chicago, resulting in an arrest. You have a 95% chance of getting away with shooting somebody in Chicago. What do you think is going to happen? Now, again, is the answer, well, we just need to shut down gun sales. Well, we need to repeal the Second Amendment, as I uh, saw somebody write today. I've got a piece of bearing arms going up about that. No. And again, the rise in gun sales 
I believe, is generally a response to the rise in violent crime. I actually talked with a reporter about this uh, a couple of days ago. I have not seen the report uh, released yet, so when that story is written, I'll be sure to uh, plug it. But uh, I I was asked a couple of questions about the timing of all of this. And there is, I think, a mindset, certainly among gun control activists, who want to try to tie record high gun sales to the record spike in violent crime that we saw in U.S. cities. They want to say that legal gun sales were the cause of that crime spike. I say no, no. I say that those gun sales were a direct response to the rise in violent crime and the unrest that we saw playing out in community after community across the country. Because you can go and you can look at the data, and the violent crime rates were already starting to rise in places like New York City as gun sales were starting to take off nationwide. This was not something that, uh, you know, New York City, by the way, not easy to get a gun. You want to be a legal gun owner in New York City, guess what? On a, on a, in a good year, it's going to take you close to a year to get your premises permit. You're going to have to submit your tax information, character references. So it wasn't that in March of 2020, a bunch of New Yorkers decided, I'm going to go out and get a gun. And they went out and they got their guns legally. And they decided, I'm going to, now I'm going to go shoot somebody. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. Again, the rise in crime really took off right around the time of the first COVID lockdowns. And then it continued. It got worse in many cities after the unrest following the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And it has simply not gone down because of the uh, continued, I believe, the continued disruptions to the criminal justice system, uh, not because of the uh, continued record high sales of firearms in this country. So if, you know, Portland, Oregon, Philadelphia, Chicago, Washington, D.C., New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, all these places... Uh, Seattle, all these places that are seeing a rise in violent crime. By the way, you know one of the few cities in this country that actually saw a decline in their homicide rate last year? Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Yeah. Again, and more anecdotal evidence that it's not legal gun ownership that was driving the rise in violent crime. Because if it was, you would expect that Oklahoma City, located smack in the middle of one of the most Second Amendment-friendly estates in the nation, would have seen its homicide rate go up. And it didn't. It actually dropped fairly dramatically. Went up in Tulsa, went down in Oklahoma City. Gun sales went up in both of those cities. It's, it's far too simplistic a solution to say, well, look, gun sales rose, violent crime rose, ergo, violent crime must have increased because of gun sales. Nope. Doesn't have to be that way at all. It has to be the other way around. Gun sales increased because of violent crime and the uncertainty that millions of Americans are feeling and facing today. In the Chicago Tribune, and I've got a piece coming up this afternoon to Bearing Arms about this as well, uh, actually a front page story today on the rise in gun ownership among black Americans, particularly black residents of Chicago. And the folks of the Chicago Tribune talked to about why they decided to purchase a firearm. It was in response to the feelings that their neighborhoods are becoming more dangerous places. It was in response to the rise in carjackings, the rise in robberies, the rise in shootings. 
It wasn't, well, you know, I just decided now was going to be my year. And then uh, my gun got stolen. And then I found out I was using a crime. Nope. That's not what they're saying. And we need to listen to these new gun owners and what they have to say about why they purchased their firearms. Unfortunately, again, gun control activists, they're not interested in listening. They're interested in interpreting this data to advance their agenda of a gun-free society. So even though the gun ownership rates going up, I, again, I believe as a result of the spike in violent crime, they're going to turn around and say, no, 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 it's actually all these new gun owners that are to blame for the rise in violent crime. Pay no attention to COVID. Pay no attention to the closure of the courts. Pay no attention to the efforts to defund the police. Pay no attention to any of that stuff. Just pay attention to the fact that gun sales went up and so did violent crime. Well, again, I, I believe it's up to us as gun owners and Second Amendment activists and frankly people who uh, like using critical thinking skills um, to point out the error in that argument. Because ultimately, not only are we about protecting our rights, but uh, honestly, take, take your gun ownership and my gun ownership out of the equation for a second. We've got cities across the nation that are barking up the wrong tree. They're pursuing, they're going down the dead end street. And it is important that we have policies in place that are effective, that can reduce violent crime. And we know what those policies are. They just don't involve stripping law-abiding Americans of the right to keep and bear arms. But it is an injustice for these city officials in places like Chicago and Philadelphia to say that the answer is more gun control. Look, Chicago's homicide rate was actually higher back when handguns were banned than it was last year in 2020. Had a big spike in 2020, but the overall homicide rates were actually higher back in the 80s and 90s when handguns were banned. We know that gun control isn't the answer. Even if you leave the Constitution out of it, we know that you cannot ban your way to safety. And when politicians make these empty promises, the folks that they're really hurting well, they're hurting every legal American gun owner. But the folks who feel this the most are the good people in bad neighborhoods who want to be able to feel safe in their home. They want to be able for their kids to be able to play outside. And these politicians offer them nothing but the empty promise of, well, if we just get rid of the guns, everything will be better. Well, it's not going to happen. I mean, making things better can happen. But getting rid of the guns? It's not going to happen. You need to target the relatively few individuals in this country and in any given city that are driving the violence. Do that, and you can have safer cities. Do that, kids can play on the street again. You continue to try to arrest your way out of this problem? You continue to try to ban your way to safety? First of all, when you do that, not only are you just lying about your support for criminal justice reform, but you're offering false hope to people who really do deserve better from their elected officials. All right, let's turn our attention now to our good deed of the day, our armed citizens story, our recidivist report. We will start there with a story out of Mobile, Alabama. And again, this is a, a tragic situation. You've got a, a five-year-old 
in Mobile, Alabama, Demarcus Austin Jr. He was shot over the weekend, allegedly at the hands of a 21-year-old named Reginald Pryor. Uh, the uh, five-year-old was sitting in a car with, with four other people, three other people, I guess, on Saturday afternoon. Police say uh, Reginald Pryor came by, fired at least 14 shots at that car. The five-year-old, the only person hit inside that car. Pryor's now facing four counts of attempted murder, one for each person inside the vehicle, as well as two counts of shooting into an occupied vehicle. And as it turns out, not the first time the 21-year-old Reginald Pryor has faced charges like this. Fox 10 and Mobile reports back in 2017, a 15-year-old girl was struck by a bullet during a drive-by. Pryor, who was 17 years old at the time, was one of four teens arrested. He pleaded guilty to reckless endangerment in September of that year. He was sentenced to one year, suspended, so he didn't have to do any time behind bars, two years probation. He was then arrested two years later, summer of 2019, charged with second-degree assault, reckless endangerment, as well as shooting into an occupied vehicle. Uh, police identified him as a suspect after a woman was shot inside of her car. A grand jury in that case ruled that there was not enough evidence to prosecute Pryor. He is still on probation, so in addition to the four counts of attempted murder, he is facing a uh, probation violation charge as well. But again, here we have a case of a five-year-old in critical condition right now, shot on Saturday by a 21-year-old, no stranger to the criminal justice system. And the one time that police have actually been able to, uh, to, to get him on a charge, what was the result in the courts? A one-year suspended sentence. No consequence whatsoever. But yeah, yeah, the, the answer is uh, just another gun controller. That's all we need. Uh, our armed citizen story from the Akron Beacon Journal, uh, Dateline Green, Colorado, where a uh, sheriff in Summit County says a man was shot after uh, trying to break into a home there. This was Saturday. The homeowner told sheriff's office that uh, the suspect actually originally appeared at his place Saturday afternoon, tried to steal an ATV, uh, and then threatened the homeowner before running off. A couple hours later, the uh, suspect returned, however, tried to get back into the home. Akron Beacon Journal reports the sheriff's office said the homeowner got a firearm and gave the suspected robber several verbal warnings, as well as contacting the sheriff's department and saying, hey, I got somebody trying to break into my home here. But when the uh, suspect approached the homeowner after being warned not to, the homeowner shot the man in the leg. Uh, suspect suffering from uh, non-life-threatening injuries taken to a local hospital. The investigation continues. It's suspected that he's going to face charges once he is released. The homeowner not expected to face charges. Looks like he was acting in self-defense. And uh, finally today, our good deed of the day from Miami Beach, Florida, where a, an officer in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save a man's life. This is Friday night. Officer Peter Caballo and Brandon Campos responded to a call about a man in cardiac arrest. Uh, according to a Facebook post from the Miami Beach Police Department, Carballo found the man unconscious. He had no pulse. His face was turning purple. So while his partner Campos uh, tried to clear the area, Officer Carballo began performing CPR on the man. Uh, he did regain consciousness just a short time later. Uh, and the man is now speaking out. Uh, thank the officer in writing, saying, uh, thank you, Officer Carballo. I owe you everything. Thankful that God sent you to save me. Officer uh, Peter Carballo on the Miami Beach Police Force for about the uh, last two years, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. And Officer Carballo, we certainly thank you, sir, for your very good deed. 
Now, that is about all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. We will be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation, uh, including correcting the media bias and the uh, anti-gun narrative that you and me and eight and a half million new gun owners are to blame for the spike in violent crime as opposed to the failed policies put in place in many cities across the country, the closure of the courts, and the lack of consequences for violent criminals. Until then, however, be well, be safe, be free, and we'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. 